0: Hey, how are you doing, podcasts? I'm Adam Buxton, and I'm very glad to be with you for another podcast. It's a very nice evening out here in the Norfolk countryside. Uh, what are we looking at? We're still looking at the beginning of May, I would say. Early May, how about that? 2022. Um, we've got some impressive clouds that I'm looking at. It's a little windy. But it's nice and mild, so that's good. There you are. That's the weather situation in the past in Norfolk. Excuse me. Got some throat-clearing issues. I think there's probably a couple of reasons for that. Nothing too sinister, I'm hoping. Reason one, hay fever. Always forget that I suffer from it. Not too badly, but I do get it. And... The other reason for throat clag is that I just had a selection of um, mini eggs, chocolate mini eggs, that I found in my wife's office. If you know my wife, please don't tell her, because she will genuinely be a bit annoyed. And I do feel slightly embarrassed about it, because I'm a grown man, I don't know if you know. And I'm supposed to have self-control. But I... I was thinking, oh, it would be so nice to have a chocolate egg. (laughs) I bet there's some left over from Easter, I was thinking. And I bet my wife wife, has stashed them in her office, in that bureau of hers. So I flipped down the top of the bureau while she was out, and sure enough, there was the egg stash. It was a great time, and I had, um, I think, five, but... It's playing havoc with my hay fevery throat. <clears> throat. Can't just have chocolate eggs and not expect consequences in this day and age. Anyway, listen, let's get on. Ooh, there's a nice warm wind coming at me. I hope you're well, by the way. All good here, apart from minor throat clag. Rosie's doing well. She's up ahead, bouncing. So let me tell you a little bit about podcast episode number 177 Buxton checks notes on phone. This episode features a rambling conversation with British comedy acting and writing duo Freya Parker and Celeste Dring also known as comedy duo Lazy Susan. Here's a few brief Susan facts for you. Freya who grew up in the north of England, and Celeste, who's from the West Midlands, met after leaving university and beginning to pursue acting careers in the early 2010s. By 2014, they were performing character-based comedy together as Lazy Susan and were nominated for a Best Newcomer Award at the Edinburgh Fringe. Further well-received Edinburgh shows followed over the years, as did mainly comedic acting roles in a variety of TV shows and, more recently, feature films. The pair made their first comedy radio show, the East Coast Listening Post, for Radio 4 in 2018. And the following year, they made a pilot for a Lazy Susan TV sketch show on BBC Three that included characters from their live shows. A further four episodes were commissioned and they aired earlier this year, 2022 they can still be viewed on the BBC iPlayer. And you'll find a link in the description of this podcast. My conversation with Freya and Celeste was recorded face-to-face back in February of this year in London. It was the first time I had met them, and I started by addressing the slight creepiness of recording the podcast in the small hotel room I was staying in at the time. By the way, because I... don't think i made it clear in our conversation who was who celeste is panned to the middle if you're listening on headphones freya is more over to the right freya's on the right celeste is in the middle buckles is on the left i'll be back at the end for a very brief goodbye but right now with freya and celeste of lazy susan here we go I'm going to set the scene. We are sat in a uh, hotel room in the Barbican area of London town. Mm-hmm. I looked on a website and saw this room and it looked much bigger. Mm-hmm. And it's got a little kitchenette area and a table where we are sat round a, a small countertop. But in the picture, it looked really spacious and Spacious enough that I thought, well, it won't be that creepy to invite two women I've never met before to yeah. record a podcast. Yeah. yeah. It'll be fine. Sure, okay. they're in their 30s. I'm in my 50s. We've never met. Mm. But it it shouldn't be a problem. And then, of course, as <laughs> soon as you arrived, mm. I thought maybe it is a problem. And it's a bit weird because it's already weird, you know, meeting someone you've never met before and sitting down and recording a long form conversation. Yeah. But then if you do it in a hotel room yeah. and there's a bed. The
2: bed's prominent. I'll it's do- say that. It's, it's prominent. It's dominant. <laughs> it's it's a, truly a bedroom. Yeah. yeah.
0: I haven't slept in it, though. That's one thing.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, if it was unmade, I'd be like, <laughs> Celeste, I think we should red flag, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> the safety word is let's get out of here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if it was unmade and I was in my pants.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
0: what's the creepiest interview you've ever done? Oh, great question.
3: I don't know if I've done a creepy interview. I, d- I would say we've definitely done
2: our time with creeps. Oh, for sure. I think we did an interview in the back of a van. Yeah. Many, Like in our first Edinburgh, like 2014. Thank you so much for the opportunity. We'll get in your van. Yeah. You're a dental student, but you're also writing reviews. That's completely the joke. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Dental
2: student. <laughs> I'm Dennis, and I'm a dental student with a passion
0: for theatre. With a passion for women's teeth, (laughs) which I collect.
2: I would
3: say it's definitely a thing of, like, women in comedy. You get, obviously, weird male fans that only go and watch women Mm. comedians. Mm. But in terms of interviews,
2: no. It's been up until now.
0: Uh, I have been immersing myself Mm -hmm. in your work. I was tipped off a couple of years ago, actually, by my brother, who often tips me off to good things. Mm-hmm. And he'd seen your pilot mm-hmm. on BBC Three. Yeah. 2019, right?
3: Yes, yeah, ages ago.
0: Previous to that, you had been on Radio Four, which I didn't realize as well, with a show that is so up my street. Oh. It's ridiculous. And in fact, I've done similar things as kind of adverts for this podcast. Mm. Yours was called the East Coast Listening Post. And it is superficially a spoof of all things This American Life. Right, and yeah. And kind of NPR, American podcasting. Mm, yeah. A certain style. It is like a spoof,
2: but it is also... A bit of a love letter. Yeah, we always used to say it's a love letter, because you, you listen to it and it is just such, it's just such a thing, isn't it? It's such a niche. I think there's like, always a lot of flattery and parodies, because
3: it, mm. you've paid close attention to it, so there's obviously you like it on some level.
0: Who does the voice for the... <laughs> this show is brought to you by...
3: That's me. <laughs> That's you, yeah. Um, with the sort of broke, like, kind of... Oh, God! Of ...breaking the voice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they, you're swallowing
0: your own voice. I think they've had that same guy. It's a bit like yeah. comic book guy or some Simpsons guy. I mean. yeah, 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 totally. But I think they've had that same guy doing... This show is brought to you by... Yeah, it's like there's a He still a lot does of, it, isn't he? Yeah,
3: stuff in your throat and you're still trying to talk. And what, was, talk
0: what was some of your things...
3: We did um, a thing called Hydrate Mate, which is like a hat that vibrates every time you need to drink vibrates some water. when you get to a point and you can't go on anymore. Yeah. Vibrate Mate has your back. Yeah. And it basically was like, it comes in a range of colors, including lime green and brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Tell me what the premise of the show was for people who haven't heard it.
2: It was after like Serial came out, the podcast Serial, which is yeah. obviously massive and it was the first time people met Sarah, Sarah Koenig, Keen- Sarah Sarah Keenick, Keenick. who had this, like, kind of, like, vo- you know, it was like vocal, vocal fry, fry and very earnest kind of journalism. But, yeah, it was like that. But the concept was, like, two American sisters who come over to England and come over to the UK to look at British culture. They're Anglophiles,
3: Anglophiles basically. Yeah. So each episode uh, focuses on a different aspect of British culture. So mm. the first episode is old money, like Grey Gardens kind of, rich people that can't afford to live in their big mansions anymore. Yeah. And we had one about um that where Tim Key played a guy who was Mr. Splat, which was a euphemism for Mr. Blobby. Stuff like that, just like weird things about British culture and we do one each episode. Mm.
0: And up to that point, you'd been doing sketch stuff live mainly, right? Going yeah. to Edinburgh and that mm. kind of thing? Yes. Having met in 2012? Yeah. Yeah. And how did that come about? Um, it's actually a very
3: boring story. We are, we're always like, we should spice this story up because it's so plain.
2: Like, we met in rehab. Like, yeah. it was yeah. crazy. There was just a vibe. Like, in L.A. or I somewhere. Was, you know, doing a jam session. <laughs> yeah, and I was tattooing her. <laughs> and we were like, wait, what is your name? And Do you want to do sketch comedy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no, we met through a mutual friend. I was doing a play, like a fringe play in London. Very heart-hitting uh, little drama. Thank you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What
0: was it about?
2: Was it called Skinhead? Yes. It was called Skinhead. I played, I don't know if I played a teen, but suddenly a frustrated young adult whose mum obviously had the cancer. And get this, dad's not on the scene. Oh. (laughs) Obviously, yeah. Fucking men. And then she, mum gets a a young boyfriend. Is he the skinhead? No, the skinhead plot twist is is mum because she's got the cancer. oh
0: Oh,
2: yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah this isn't pulling any punches this thing
2: no 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 i had to cry in it oh big it was a big role i don't know actually why i'm shitting on it because i've got so much work out of that weirdly so like i always think if i hadn't done that job i wouldn't have met ed who was the assistant director because we were talking about writing one night and he was like oh well you should i'm writing with a friend of mine we should all meet and i think you two would get on and then introduce me to celeste and then we did get on, and then we sort of started making work together. Yeah. So I took it all back. Great little job. Yeah. And then we started writing, and then it was bad, wasn't it? Bad, oh, bad theatre. Yeah, inexcusable, actually. What
0: were you writing? Was it funny no. stuff immediately? Or Or no, you, no. you, you were doing serious stuff, were you?
2: So we were doing... Because
3: oh, no. you both
0: wanted to act originally, right? I mean, you, you do act still, mm. but that was your main ambition.
3: I did sort of want to act, but I more wanted to just make stuff and hopefully acting would come out of it it wasn't my burning desire to like audition for Holby City or like be in dramas and stuff but I just wanted to make work and I didn't really know how to go about it and I suppose comedy live comedy especially felt not accessible but like a bit of a meritocracy like if you if you just kept going and had enough resilience to handle bombing and then go back that you would eventually carve a bit of a path as opposed to like acting looked like a bit of a lottery to me or a bit of a like, you know, one in a million. I felt like, you know, you up your chances if you make your own stuff.
0: Yes, and acting is dependent on so many other superficial things that you have no control over.
3: Yeah, and it feels like comedy, you can be a bit weird or you don't have to look perfect, particularly as a woman at that time. I feel like things are changing now, but there was still a particular obsession with a certain kind of, very thin, well-spoken, beautiful sort of woman. And I kind of thought my... You're
1: describing my wife.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Not again. Yeah, so I think comedy seemed like more open to if if you feel slightly alternative. And I guess my best hope and still is of like doing interesting jobs as like a character actor and trying to do like stuff like that rather than try and, yeah, hit the mainstream
2: in that way, but... Same yeah. with me. And that's why I'm not more successful It was a very much, I've chosen <laughs> yeah. to stay alternative. Totally. God, yeah. For me, it's a choice. I turned down the crown. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Liz. So
3: give it to Olivia. Yeah. God's yeah, sake.
0: Instead, yeah. you were in the Windsors though. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Good gig. That's another clip that I saw that made me really laugh. You and Ellie White. Yes. Friend yeah. of the podcast. Ah. And you are playing Princess Eugenics.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the S yes is silent, but yes. Eugenie? Yeah. What kind of a name is
0: Eugenie I don't anyway? know. I mean, it is almost uh, eugenics, isn't it? Yeah. Is it French? Um, I'm going to Google the shit out of this. I've uh, never heard it anywhere else, apart from at the palace. I've got to sign in to the hotel.
2: Mm-hmm. Happy to
0: wait. email. Dr. Buckles at <laughs> coolguy. <laughs> dot Biz. Shazam.
3: Nice. mm
0: I declare that I have understood the general terms of use and accept them unreservedly. I would like to receive daily emails from the hotel.
3: For the rest of time. Can they do hourly? That would be...
0: What does the name Eugenie mean? Eugenie. How are you saying it? Eugenie. Eugenie. I
2: I thought it was Eugenie. Eugenie. Eugenie.
0: French female form of Eugene.
2: Okay. Which is from...
0: Which is from the Greek name Eugenios, which means good, well. And genes, meaning born. born. Well-born. Well-born, yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, story checks out, isn't it? Yeah. Story checks out.
0: Yeah, so so Princess Eugenie was well-born, depending on your perspective Mm -hmm. and your definition of well. Mm. And you do a spectacular posh accent for her.
3: Thank you.
0: How did that happen?
3: Okay, so the voice is kind of like that. So you kind of linger on the ends of words, and, like, go up at the end is, like, a thing that, yeah, kind of posh girls do. But, yeah, I, it's funny because when they were first auditioning for it, the Beatrice part was well-spoken and posh, and for a joke they'd written the Eugenie part as Cockney. Okay. So it was all written like she was from EastEnders, and they cast me having done that. And then as we were rehearsing and going into the first sit, they changed their minds and they were like, oh, we want it to be actually, we want you to be, to match. But yeah, I, I honestly just nabbed it from Maiden in Chelsea. Okay. And that's how they all talk on there.
0: Here's a little clip. And this is Beatrice and Eugenie become social media influencers.
3: Yeah, sounds about right. We're only just in the top 10 now. I don't think we're ever going to get back on the Sovereign Grant. But who needs it? We're both going to be married now. Besides, we're going to be online influencers. Dean you think, Sue, All the zappy brands have turned us down. Apple, Nike, WH smiths They're all saying the same thing.
1: We're just not popular enough. Oh dear. We could end up like Princess Margaret's children.
3: Not even characters on the ground.
1: <laughs> that
0: is amazing. Uh, that There must have been quite a bit of laughing on that set wasn't there
3: yeah yeah it's
0: a good question isn't it
3: yeah <laughs> um yeah i mean not as much as you would think no we didn't uh even make eye contact with each other um me and ellie um yeah. separate cars um no but it was it was very because it's classic like uk comedy which means there's no budget it's like two takes and you're done so actually everyone's just trying not to mess it up and there's no improv really which we were always desperate to do but I really thought everyone on it was so funny. I mean, like Katie Wicks is so fun. I used to crack up all the time anything, anything she was doing, she was always so funny. But yeah, so it was good fun, but it was so time pressured that you can really uh relax.
0: And you've got a somewhat parallel career path to Ellie and Tash Dimitriu as well, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. They've got a show, a sketch show coming out. We've this actually year. never
3: all been seen in the same room. So, mm. Yeah.
0: And is that a friendly arrangement or is there some rivalry there uh, and, that and you'd and like to admit to on the Enemies, podcast?
3: for sure. Me and Ellie are quite obviously close because we did Windsor's together and then Tash, we've obviously met, but we don't know as well. But no, I don't feel any sort of... Like the BBC Commission, both our shows, you know, there's overlap in the sense that we're white women of a certain age, sort of vaguely middle class or whatever. You worry maybe our material's going to come out quite similar because we are always yeah. saying some of the same things. But I actually think we're so different that yeah it doesn't it doesn't matter
0: you don't send scripts over to each other and say look we bagged this <laughs> we
3: shotgun this we've got our show out first so we
2: yeah. don't have to worry yes yeah, yeah. yes
0: yours is out as of just a few weeks ago right yes and the name of the show is
2: it's lazy susan
0: it's lazy susan but
2: just lazy susan yeah no no it's oh but I, I regret that now. Yeah, could have been. It's Lazy Susan. Yeah, and that series would have been a great two. series two. But yeah, it's sim- simply Lazy Susan. Are you free to record the.
0: Absolutely. Great. I'll be very upset if you don't ask me to be in it. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of big comedians in there. I mean, they're younger than I am and funnier, but still, come on.
2: Yeah, you're in. Thanks. We'll sort it out. You're
0: in. I once asked Ricky Gervais if I could be in The Office uh, <laughs> just after they'd done series one. And I met him at a party. Yeah. And said, ah, you know, when, when it was still relatively obscure as a show, hadn't blown up and gone overground yet, he said, oh, I like your show. You know, me and Joe were doing the Adam and Joe show at the time. Yeah. Or had just been doing it. And I was like, oh, cool. Well, maybe I could, uh, you could put me in the office. I could do a little part.
3: He's like, no way. <gasps> Okay. No way. <laughs> no way
0: because he his point which was absolutely right was that I, I wasn't an actor. You know, I wasn't I hadn't really done much acting. Mhm. So it would just be weird to have the guy from the Adam and Joe show suddenly
2: <laughs> He's working in the office now.
0: <laughs> doing a part. But you got to start somewhere. Yeah. So
2: you got to sugar the pill. Don't laugh. Don't laugh like that.
0: Gervais doesn't sugar any pills. No,
2: no.
0: Have you seen the Golden Globes?
2: Yes, I have
0: yeah. no sugary pills there, yeah, do yeah. you think you know the clip of him at the Golden Globes, and then they cut to Tom Hanks looking appalled mm. at one of the risque Chavez mm. cracks, so the yeah. joke was, if you win an award, thank your agent, thank God, and then fuck off.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Cut to Tom Hanks cringing yeah in a disapproving way.
2: I think it's because he mentioned he dropped the g the G bomb. Americans love God. They so do love God. Do you, not that thing, we don't. Hey, great guy.
3: Wasn't Gervais, this is vague in my recollection, but wasn't he saying don't say anything political? So don't talk about...
0: Yes, yes. That that was also part of... So it.
3: I think if Hanks is kind of a good guy, he might be like mm. uh, saying, you know, don't advocate for not righting wrongs or whatever. Okay. But do you think
0: Hanks know. really is a good guy?
3: If he goes, I don't know where, well, I can't... He's got to. He's got, yeah. I don't want to know if he's done any. I just.
0: You mean if he's unmasked as a rock? Yeah,
2: yeah. Just just don't tell me. If for whatever reason something emerges, probably from the dark web, let's face it. Yeah. About (laughs) Hanks. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like something will crumble in time and space. We're hanging by a thread as it is. Yeah. I really will feel like nothing. I can't trust anything. Yeah. Yeah, He seems like such a good guy. Like when he got COVID, I was like,
0: please don't. Yes.
2: Please don't die. You and your n- nice, normal marriage wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Although he does have an AWOL
3: son, and he I'm not does. saying that oh, I love reflects son. badly on Hanks, but you're like...
0: But that's the only option available to Tom Hanks' son, isn't it? Yeah. Because all, all children have to sort of define themselves in opposition to their parents somewhat.
2: Yeah, he's got like a good and good and evil son, hasn't he? Because he's got another son who's just like a mini Hanks, hasn't he? Uh-huh. Yeah, and he's an actor as well, because he was in Fargo, wasn't he?
0: He's got Chet, he's got Colin, and he's got Truman.
2: Colin
3: Hanks is a good Colin one. Colin Hanks is the actor. Yeah.
2: I think it's the name, isn't it? Chet.
0: Truman, 25, also in the film industry, albeit behind the cameras. That's
2: the, that's a way to go. If
3: I was a Hanks kid, I would excel, but behind the camera. Yeah.
0: Don't compete
1: with Dan. There's no point right? Right. Don't, Don't humiliate
0: yourself. out loud. Yeah, yeah. Colin Hanks, he's quite recognisable now that I see him. He's because in a lot Because he
2: looks of, like
0: Tom Hanks. He looks a bit like Tom Hanks, but he looks like a sort of... Slightly etiolated, grumpier Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Band of Brothers he was in. He's in Band
2: of Brothers right at the end, isn't he? Everyone's
0: in Band of Brothers, though. Simon Pegg's in Band of Brothers. Is he? Yeah. It's
2: a phrase now called a nepotism baby. Have you heard that?
0: No, what's that? Someone... I mean, I can figure out. Yeah, well, (laughs) we'll (laughs) give (laughs) you a minute.
2: (laughs) Someone was talking about um, Jude Apatow's daughter being in... euphoria Euphoria. and someone was like oh my god i just found out that like she's a nepotism baby like what the fuck (laughs) i think it's interesting
3: some people keep their parents name Mm. and use it and some and leverage it and some people don't Judy Dench's daughter has a different name. I would actually crumble under the pressure. I, I don't feel sorry for nepotism babies, but I, I wouldn't like it being uh, like you say in that kind of shadow. Where yeah. I think I, I think I'd go the Chet Hanks, <laughs> route. I think I'd go. You like to think you'd be Colin, but actually, you start yeah.
0: rapping in an offensive.
3: Mm. Yeah. yeah, well, because I'm from my dad's like what you would call working class. Done good. Mm-hmm. And I already feel quite an enormous, like, pressure just from that of, of having so much more than he had, stuff like that. If, if that expanded into being, like, he's a really successful, rich actor, producer, I think I would have just, like, mm. shriveled to dust. I don't it think I would have liked it. It would be
0: very weird, I think, to be the child of a very famous person or a very even just a very talented person. Yeah, yeah. That's tough, man. I think that if you get really famous, you shouldn't really be allowed to have children. That's, what about that?
2: I think that's Or fair.
0: you could just be made to give them away. <laughs>
2: that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. And
0: then they could, because they, they, the chances are that they've yeah. got good genes. Yeah. They've probably got a lot of talent of their own. Yeah. Even though maybe not quite as much as their parents. Yeah. But still. A fair bit of talent. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. why not give them to another family that perhaps
3: and see can't how have they do? Yeah. nature nurture. Yeah, I think it's a
0: nice idea.
1: Hey, everybody in the modern time, they got to get themselves a podcast. I will do yours and you'll do mine. We're sorting out the problems of the world so fast.
0: Freya, yes, you've got some good roles up your sleeve you okay mm. to chat about some of these? I'll chat. Jurassic World Dominion. Yeah. What are we looking at here?
2: So imagine a world <laughs> where myself,
0: yeah.
2: you know, Z-list sketch comic, um, stand-up extraordinaire, Ahir and sketched up like the pin. Oh, yeah. Get an email from the director of Jurassic Park, uh, Colin, who's a lovely guy, and he asks in a very casual way, do you want to come and be in my dinosaur movie?
0: <laughs> is he a Brit, the director? No,
2: he's American, but he lives over here. Okay. And we were obviously all like, like, yeah, like, obviously we'll do that.
0: So can I ask you at this point, was mm. there no hesitation whatsoever, given that some of the Jurassic Park films uh-huh. are less good than others? Hey,
2: whoa. No, there was literally zero hesitation. Yeah. I grew up watching them. And this is like the last one that he'll do. Mm-hmm. So it basically like brings all the old characters from the original, like come back. So you know, you Jeff, you Dern, they're all they're all back. Whoa! But we all basically because it was like, when did I do it? Was it twenty twenty? Yeah. We all had to quarantine in this really posh hotel near Pinewood, but they were all there. So Jeff Goldblum was there with like with his wife and his kids, and he's like true Hollywood, like knows everybody's first and second name. You say one little thing to him and he's kind of like, hey, Freya Parker, how was your eggs yesterday? <laughs> Et cetera. Um, and oh, were... <laughs> Freya Parker. Oh, Freya Parker. Wonderful. 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 The, the whole thing was just, like, absolutely surreal. So this is, is all brilliant. before
0: you've even started shooting.
2: Before we even started shooting, And then what's the mad? part you played? So I played, uh, air, like, an air traffic control person, obviously. <laughs> and I work for an evil dinosaur company. I think it's like Star Wars. The plot is like very similar every time. But we'd be sat there, be sat next to Ahir and Alex, and every so often someone would go like, we're fucking doing Jurassic Park. And then we'd all be like, I know, I can't fucking believe it. I can't believe it. And then there'd always be someone, there'd be like a break, and then there'd always be someone just whistling the theme tune.
0: Yeah.
2: It felt like everybody who was working on it was like a fan. It was just, it was just fucking cool. I'd want
0: to whistle though, isn't it? Yeah, maybe not. Did you steal anything from the set?
2: No, but we got gifted something that I was about to steal, so I was really glad that I didn't do it. And he was like, oh, where's the... Uh, Embryos. Where's the where's the egg? No, we got gifted little origami dinosaurs on our desk. Oh, okay. And then they took us to see all the sort of puppets and the animatronic dinosaurs. Yeah, we were just full just nerds the whole time. And yeah, they're amazing. We saw like a, a raptor and stuff. Oh. We saw there's like a baby raptor. Yeah. Very cute. Did you even cry? Though- I didn't cry, but I do cry cry a lot.
0: Do you you cry at commercials?
2: Oh, God, I cry at commercials. I cried once telling someone about the first time I saw um, (laughs) (laughs) Riverdance. On YouTube, I'm tearing up right now. (laughs) <laughs> Literally describing it. It's so stupid. I've
0: got things like that as yeah.
2: well. Yeah. What is it? Is it the ensemble feeling? Well, Riverdance, it's the spectacle, it's the surprise, it's the fact that it's better than anything else that's on that night at the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. It's like Ireland going like, "Oh my god, jing jing jing, jing yeah. money forever." Oh, I just love it. And the music. <laughs> I <just>
0: love it. <laughs> what I love makes it. you emotional, Celeste?
2: Just the
3: normal things. You know, that's what a robot would say. Um, Just the well, normal human stuff. Speaking of stuff. which,
0: now I'm segueing to, mm. in a way it's kind of a spoiler, but your radio DJ characters. Yeah. Who, spoiler, yeah. turn out to be robots. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is on your sketch show and they work for a radio station called Buzz Midlands. And you play Ricky and Nicky.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And on one of the sketches, you discussed things you thought were true until you were really quite old.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, I think that me and Joe, when we were on the radio, did exactly that.
3: I'm so sorry.
0: (laughs) And I think some of the other things, like some of the answers you got on that sketch, Dean from Leicester thought ponies were just baby horses. I think I had a conversation with Joe about exactly that at some point. And that is a
2: genuine confession for me until really recently. Yeah, same here. 'Cause I yeah. Did you feel judged?
0: Yes. Uh yes good. I did. Okay, when I was watching the sketch, the you mean? Or when, yeah, yeah, when you were watching that the
3: sketch. Well these
0: weren't baby horses. Both. Both, yes. Yes to both.
3: Yes to both.
0: I did think like, shit, this is uncomfortably close to what me and Joe used to do all the time on Six Music. Oh
2: shit.
3: But
0: we weren't um Well it made me want to ask you if there was what a the show you... What the fuck we're playing
3: at? Huh? Yeah, like, <laughs> okay. All right. If, is it personal? Yeah.
0: Also you had another one which was what are your favorite British favourite yeah. British PUDs? Favourite British Puds. That is a good that's we would have <laughs> definitely used that one on the radio Joe. are you what kind of shows are you thinking of
2: capital it's It's. yeah it's capital
3: that was
0: very quick yeah, yeah. is that roman kemp
3: yeah on sorry yeah. to roman kemp because i'm sure it is lovely guy a lovely guy and very good at his job yeah it's a hard job early mornings i think this is the thing so you kind of have to like if you're doing sketches you sort of have to shit on people that you're like you seem nice yeah. <laughs> and i don't hate what you do i think we were just trying to do something with as little as possible. And I know what you mean, because they are slightly adjacent, a capital radio DJ being like, what are your favourite British puts? And then, you know, you and Joe doing that. But I think the flights of fancy, the, the detail that you guys would have... It sure. would have still been like... An no, air, you we know. did it
0: way better. Again.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and general kind of regional radio where they just have to be really chipper, relentlessly sure. chipper with so little. Mm. Um, it's a
0: perennial enjoyable target for comedians. And
3: just as much noise and distraction as possible. I feel like radio should have died and it hasn't in the content heavy world that we live in. It shouldn't have really made it. And I think it's interesting that it, it does try to compete and it's literally like, so noise, noise, here I am shouting about this, cut to this jingle, now we've got a bit of a song, now we're here. So Celestia it's like just describing Adam's. Still,
0: <laughs> still describing yeah and Joe on Six Music. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Should we go to a jingle?
0: <laughs> you love those. I do. And I do love radio as well, though. I yeah. think that the reason it endures is that, well, I suppose if you look at it, from a negative point of view, you could say that it's just kind of noise that's designed to paper over any kind of awkwardness or silence. It's just sort of background noise to stop you from actually thinking. But on the other hand, it can be very, very good and very intimate. And it is very much the, you know, obviously the forerunner of the podcast medium. Mm. But the other day I was in the doctor's waiting room, waiting to have a blood test, nothing serious, but still, you you're always thinking ah it might turn out to be serious mm. and actually the babble of the breakfast dj was comforting yeah mm. you know what i mean and i imagined like if there was no babble of breakfast dj running through inane messages
1: mm.
0: followed up by a bit of james blunt and some ed sheeran then the silence would just be oppressively grim yeah. and i and i was grateful for the radio you know yeah I mean?
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's company. And like you say, I think when it's done well, as well, you know, people like Greg Jenner, he's really good. Or like, what's that guy, the Welsh guy on Radio One? Who's Hugh. Actually, yeah, it's Is he Hugh, a
0: Hugh. Yeah,
3: Hugh, someone. He's actually really funny. Hugh Stevens. And he's very yes. good at picking an interesting, like latching onto interesting things and sort of expanding them just off the cuff on the fly. He's, mm. you know. Um, or you think it's someone like Scott Mills has been going forever?
0: Millsy. Yeah. Mills-y, yeah.
3: Do you know that Pete Tong is like 61? Is he? And I listened to a show of his on Radio 1 the other night, and it was wall-to-wall bangers. It was so current. It was so good. And I just Googled Pete Tong. Pete Tong's 61.
0: Yeah, but 61 isn't what 61 used to be.
3: I was still shocked, though. I'm
0: nearly 61.
3: Yeah, yeah. And look at me. I'm incredibly youthful.
0: And my finger is on the pulse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. too much, in a way. (laughs) Anyway, so I guess what I'm saying is, can you just stop doing those sketches Mm -hmm, with mm -hmm, with the radio people?
1: Is that real melody? Have you seen my phone charger? What? What? I left it right there. What? Did you see it? What? Have you got it? What? Where's my charger gone? What? Where's my phone charger? What? The battery's about to die. It was on the table Round and round in their heads go the chord progressions The empty lyrics And the impoverished fragments of tune And boom goes the brain box At the start of every bar At the start of every bar Boom goes the brain box
0: Celeste has described herself as a, quote, fragile girl who can't handle it <laughs> on social media. That's a quote from an interview. Uh,
2: Fascinating. Yeah. yeah.
0: I sympathize. I'm a fragile girl who can't handle it mm-hmm, on social mm-hmm. media as well. Yeah. yeah. Do you Want to start a support group? Yes. yes. Obviously I do. Cool. T- talk me through how you feel about it. Because I sort of sensed, and maybe I was projecting, but I sensed a kind of apologetic explanation from you about that like oh i should be on social media but i'm not because i'm a bit fragile or something mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. is that was i misreading that
3: no do you know what i think it's just as ever with interviews it's hard to summarize your maybe conflicted feelings around something yes. so i think i just blurted that out and a couple of other things and then that that's the thing that made it in i don't actually know i'm definitely never going to be someone that photographs their meals or sticks on a selfie or something like that but I do worry career-wise that I should be on a platform so that people can engage with what I'm doing more. You are on a platform. Yeah.
0: You've got a TV show. That's
3: what I think. So I'm kind of... I think if that hadn't happened, then maybe I would be like, okay, I'm going to... I just think that ultimately, I know it sounds a bit cringy, but it, it comes down to what feels authentic and right for you. And it, it is my way to be a bit more withheld and I think I mean we've talked about this before that like my absolute dream would be to be like Daft Punk or something have total anonymity Mm. and it just be the work and I feel like we're in this place culturally where we really want to know the people that make the stuff I just think that's way more boring I think hearing me talk about myself and my own life is far more disappointing and uninteresting than watching something that we make, or mm. all the good stuff goes into the work. So, for me, there's not a lot left for everything else. But, you know, wait till I'm trying to sell a book and <laughs> we'll see.
0: Well, you can come back on the podcast. I just think there's yeah. other options. Yeah. And I don't, I just genuinely don't believe that your career will suffer. In a significant way because you're not on social media. And I just think that, and I just think, I just think this. I'm sorry, but I do. I just think this. And it comes into my head and I'm thinking it, and there it is. It's got to
3: say, if you keep it in, that's actually unhealthy. It's It's like a rupture your ass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I do really think that, like, people should not feel that they need to be on social media for any reason whatsoever. If you have any qualms about it, don't be on it Mm. and you'll be fine. You know, and I always feel that I have to add the caveat like, oh, it's fine for me to say that. I've had an incredible, (laughs) glittering and successful career. Here I am with maybe the biggest podcast in the world, bigger than Joe Rogan, I think. Mm. And so that's fine for me to say, not everybody has that privilege, but I do just think you'll be fine if you're not on it.
3: Are you a lurker? Because I lurk, which isn't good.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. What, you mean now that I'm not on it, do I check it? Yeah. Oh, no, because I'm not even... I cancelled my account and everything. So I, so I can't even look. I can mm. look at individual tweets. But yeah, if no. I want to look at the comments and things like that, which is what used to take up a lot of my oh, time. Oh, you have to log sure, in. Log, okay, you have yeah. to log in.
2: Okay. I think engaging with comments is something that I... That actually, in terms of being like a fragile girl, like I actually can't... Like, you know, there's a sketch in our show called Sketch Hotline and it's a sort of, it's a spoof of, like, trolls and, you know, being a woman online and that accessibility that people feel that they can critique your work kind of, like, to your face. Yeah. And there's a line in it where it's like, don't call us, don't DM us on Instagram, call our hotline and tell us personally, and that's the joke. But after the show came out, I got loads of men DMing me on Instagram to critique the show, or critique me. Um, praise me, weirdly. Yeah, um. a, lot of, right, a lot of praise for Celeste, <laughs> yeah. actually. Yeah, I found that. It was me. I found that. <laughs> Celeste has been just catfishing me on an off. And... Do you know that's
3: the thing? Yeah, um, they call it digital self harm. A lot to... of teens are doing it, where they they set up fake accounts, troll themselves. What's so people see it? Yeah, and and oh sort of God. stick up for them. It's called digi- digital self harm. That is so fucked up. Yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think maybe the thought's gone through my head. Yeah. But I've never done. Know, that. Never
2: actually, what shall yeah. I troll myself?
0: Yeah, or something. You know, in, like in a moment of madness.
2: Yeah, yeah. I
0: don't know. I don't know that I ever actually you got. You are that, a but fragile. Girl. Well, no, it's the kind of thing that I might do because I, I my my skin is thin. So me I me too. Yeah. I, I thought, well, this this is daft. I much as I would love to be robust and confident enough to go on there and take the slings and arrows and respond to sincere and constructive criticism as Mm. well as trolling you know
2: i think you're just never gonna feel good though like i engaged with someone on instagram because he's really like mis just misunderstood something and i just i engaged and then i immediately was like oh god oh god like i completely regretted it and i was like oh god oh god i should not have done that and then I just I just felt awful about it.
0: did you do it angrily?
2: No, it wasn't angrily, but he'd basically taken part of that sketch. It was a bit where we're like talking about like people calling in and we're writing down what they're saying, and I don't know one line is you know, like oh, like go and fuck myself, okay, I'll do that, and then it's like as funny as AIDS, thank you, sir. and he just messaged me being like, Um AIDS isn't funny and oh, I was okay. and I was a bit like. Oh like yeah i like we we know that, and That's, then he yeah. I just tried to engage with him and tried to sort of explain like this is satire, and also like that is kind of a bait in what people say to people,
0: yeah, and yeah the the weird thing is that in that moment, you were worried that this guy who can't understand quite a simple sketch <laughs> was gonna think that you thought AIDS was funny,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean why, why did I get i think i just i think i just it was so stupid, I just couldn't let it go.
0: It's funny that troll thing... It's like trolls were provocateurs. They wanted to get a rise out of right. people. They deliberately posted stuff that they often didn't even believe yeah, in the yeah. early days of mm. comment sections.
2: It was an active thing. Like some people would be like, "Yeah, I'm a troll. Like it's something yeah. that I do. It's like a style. It's like a
0: sort of uh, pr- a prank. But it wasn't meaningful criticism. Right? Yeah. The, the joke was they would just put any old bullshit that sounded like a bit of criticism mm. and wait for people to take the bait. Yeah. But then now the term has morphed into just any criticism is dismissed as trolling or Mm, trolling. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's like there's a difference.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a difference. For example, like the abuse that like Diane Abbott gets online Mm. is trolling. It's like, it's vicious and it's untrue and it's focusing in directly on her. And it's whenever you see her name trending, I'm always like, oh, Oh God, like that yeah, that, yeah. that poor woman.
0: Trolling, in my mind, originally was more sort of playful, albeit in a problematic way.
2: Mm.
3: Does it, it still kind of exist, that version, would you say? Would you say it's been I entirely think, subsumed? Into...
0: No, I think so. I think there are still people. I think my impression of places like 4chan and then 8chan was mm. that originally that's exclusively what happened there mm. was people just going out and pushing people's buttons so they're They they're agents were bored. of chaos yeah basically. yeah yeah and they they didn't genuinely believe a lot of this stuff but then i think that has changed over the years and i think i think that you know the kind of thing you're talking about with mm. diane abbott or whatever that's not trolling that's just straightforward malicious mm. bullying
3: yeah. yeah yeah
0: horribleness anyway you see this is why god invented jingles jingle jingle
1: break it's a break from the podcast in between the next bit and the that was last every now and then you have to take a little rest otherwise you're going to get tired and depressed take a look around think that you exist think about the person you last kissed right that's enough now think about trees think about sausages think about trees think of alien vehicles moving out in space think about the wonder on the little baby's face now think of baby Wonder's face on the baby
0: Now you are in the new film Wonka. Have you got a nice little bit of screen time there? Got some lines?
2: I've got a couple of lines. It's a humble, small part. Yeah. It's one of those projects where you I've only seen like a tiny bit of it and you feel like they go all over the world and there's... So many different parts to it, and often you don't see the whole script. It's a bit like Jurassic Park; you don't, you never see the whole script. Yeah. Because um, especially me, I to come on a podcast and, and tell everybody that the plot. Um It's not a remake; it's a prequel.
0: Prequel. So
2: it's how Willy Wonka comes to be a chocolatier. Yeah. I the guess. old Timmy. Timmy. We all Shall wanted me. to know. Yep.
0: And it's directed by Paul King, who did the Boosh and who did the Paddington movies. Yeah. Yep. Written by Paul and Simon Farnaby. Yep. It's a killer team.
2: It's a killer team. And it's really funny. And it looks great. It's like a proper. Yeah. It's just a proper big movie. It's like big sets. It's a musical.
0: And who's playing one car? Timothy Charlemagne. Timothy.
2: Timothy. Did Chalamet. you get
0: some Timothy time?
2: Only in the makeup truck. Um, good
0: enough. Yeah, good enough. How was that? Did you marvel at his beautiful face?
2: I mean, he's a beautiful little boy.
0: He is. But he's th- very fragile. He's a very fragile
2: little boy. You know, very nice, very professional. And I, it was, like, extremely early, so I had to wear a wig. And, you know, you have those, like, things that you pop on under your eyes to sort of de-puff your face. Oh. So it would be, like, six in the morning, and they were like, hey, Fred, this is Timothy, and I was sort of like... <laughs> and he, so he was a bit like, oh, sweet, <laughs> what is that, kind of thing. <laughs> so don't think I was particularly memorable yeah. for him. But, no, it was, like, super cool.
0: I'm quoting from the Oxford Mail, mm. who wrote a short article about one car. mm hmm and
3: male spelled m-a-l-e yeah yeah yeah
0: this is just a, a guy i met in oxford. yeah 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 i call him the oxford male uh reportedly tom holland and chalamet were two finalists for the role okay. but spider-man actor holland ultimately lost out oh, to chalamet sorry, sorry about that tom
3: did you know that um for the matrix keanu reeves wasn't first choice i is this is a bit of an article about it isn't was it me? james it's corden
2: a, it was
0: james <laughs> he corden i'm sure he's in a
2: mix no, who else was it? Someone who was... So DiCaprio was offered it. Yeah. Turned and he, it down. He turned it down because he didn't want to do another CGI thing after Titanic. Yeah. We read the same article.
3: Yeah, cool. Yeah. And also Johnny Depp either turned it down or didn't get it. I bet Tom Cruise wanted to do it.
2: No. Do well, think- I just yeah. made that up, but I bet, I bet it's true in a way. He would have
0: been good. It's too sort of camp for Tom Cruise, though, I think.
2: He couldn't have worn a leather jacket, could he? He couldn't have worn a long leather jacket, no. could he? No.
0: Anyway, Holland currently weeping, uh, yeah. having lost out to beautiful Timothy Chalamet.
3: Zendaya inside though, so oh my god, must be the strongest
2: in the world.
0: Is he? Oh, he's going out with Zendaya. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. man.
3: So you know, I'm not they've too just, worried about him. They've just no. bought a
2: house, have they? Yep. Oh, in London. What n- do they tell you on the WhatsApp? Yeah, yeah, we were just um, messaging. <laughs> just coming here actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Welcome Just...
1: to Celebrity Chat Podcast <laughs> with me, Adam Buxton.
0: Do you feel confident in your ability to not get too competitive with each other? Because you're both talented uh, actors and you're mm-hmm. both doing separate projects, exciting things here and there. Mm-hmm. But yet you you come together for Lazy Susan. Would you call Lazy Susan your main gig?
3: I think it is now. But yeah, we wouldn't stoop to being competitive but you know at the end you do have to pick which one of us is yeah. you think is the best I'm is sure. the best um and if the listeners can vote do some sort of vote as well yeah, um yeah. just to settle a, that'd be settle good a little bit that'd be fun <laughs> <laughs> a fun little yeah that's fun um but no do you know what we've gone up for like we're so used to going up for like same parts or same i think if one of us had had, had like a meteoric rise mm. then maybe it would be a different story we are both sort of scrambling around yeah
0: i mean i think cuz I was in a very successful double act. Yes. And I wish we'd had counseling.
3: Yeah. Early on. Yeah. I
0: wish someone had sat down and said, look, this, 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 and this are likely to happen. And if they do, don't fall out. Not that we ever massively fell out, but there was tension that was so unhelpful that I really regret. And I, and, and loads of bits of insecurity, many of which were my fault. Sorry, I'm just choking (laughs) with emotion. (coughs) Excuse God, me. tears are actually streaming down his face. Wow. Wow. Excuse me. I'm fifty-two, And I just wish that someone had sat us down and, and given us a, a little talk. Yeah. And said, like, actually, you know, the most important thing is to protect your relationship. And yeah. you can definitely go off and do other things individually. But if you want to just torpedo it because you're insecure about the other one doing better than the other one. Right. Then it'll be such a mistake. Mm. Yeah. Um And I'm glad to say that we sort of weathered it and, and came through the other end and still get on and do bits and pieces. But I certainly wish that we'd kind of plugged away a little longer at the TV thing. Cause I think it was, cause it was good fun.
3: I think it's so common. We've definitely, you know, been through uh some of that ourselves mm. And no one teaches you how to do it. And there's also something a bit, you do feel a bit silly when it gets a bit tense or difficult because you're like having a slightly tense discussion and then you've got to put a stupid wig on and one of you's got the duck problem. Yeah. Would yeah. Like so well,
2: you want to just like, do the
3: bit with the slug then? When we did our last Edinburgh, we we had to share a room because we couldn't afford to have our own room. So it'd I'm be sorry. like. Sorry.
0: So sorry.
3: No. And, and this is why we're asking. <laughs> for £10 a month. No, we... Um, but it would be literally like, night, Bert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Goodnight. You know, and, and... But it was so intense that... Basically, there's a weird thing where you're not that successful, but you're still taking it very seriously because you're on stage together every day, or that's what we had. So you're so vulnerable and there's so many pressures and you're trying to make it. So even though you're not successful, so it shouldn't matter, you're feeling like, well, we're close, so we. it does
2: matter. And also <laughs> just even just doing the Fringe, is eye-wateringly expensive. Yeah. And the house always wins. Like, that run, we sold every single show out, we did extra shows, and then when we got the breakdown, did we, like, make £300 each? Less than. Oh, I don't think we even... I think we just even. absolutely, like, staggering. Like, yeah. So, so you are... You tell yourself like I'll oh, keep it light just chill we're just playing we're just playful. Yeah. But actually it really does matter and it's it's quite a hard sort of balance to sort of stay playful and yeah. also not be like crushed by the the, the way, reality of the pressure.
3: And also often it's uh, it's interesting to me how a two it's a bit like a partner and you slot into roles. Yeah. Mm. There's always dynamics and sometimes you've chosen each other because you remind each other of certain familiar things that you don't feel like you like, but they are familiar. She's talking about daddy. But I do think that, I mean, so far, Touch Wood, we've always been able to to talk it out, maybe not immediately at the time, but yeah. always afterwards. And there's always enough of a bond there, I think, and enough sort of love that you you do figure it out. But yeah, you do feel very silly because you're like, ultimately what we're doing is not very important, but it is very exposing. And I think that's yes. why you can get all the worst aspects of yourself. Can start to come out. Anyway, Freya should talk now. But this is also classic that I would, most mouth of Freya Freya would be like, yep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Me and Joe used to come out of interviews and I used, I was jangling. Like I would just be going for it in the interview, you Mm -hmm. know. And then afterwards I'd feel sort of dirty and ashamed.
3: Yeah, a vulnerability hangover. I get that all the
2: time. But I definitely talk too much and I would say you talk a lot less. Mm. It's just hard to be in, I think a double act is such a sort of unique Dynamic, and I think it is rare that they survive without, uh, without some sort of sort of den or like. Yeah. And and it's really sad. Like there was an article, was it uh, Badil and Newman, Newman and Bedell, where they talked, yes, about, yes, where they talked about doing this. They were the first.
0: Like Mary Whitehouse experience, and then they became this sort of could, stadium. Yeah, they
2: were like the first stadium
3: rock star weren't they?
0: comics. Yeah,
2: but are they the ones that did the sort of historians or professors
0: yes, that have exactly, a very petty? Yeah,
3: oh,
2: yeah okay. I, I remember. But,
3: but they got to a point where today, they couldn't
2: yeah. like look. They were on stage, literally acting the part of being friends, but they actually weren't looking in each other's eyes. They weren't. They couldn't. They yeah. didn't talk to each other unless on stage. And I just read that, being like, "Good God, that is just horrendous." To yeah, there's something quite tragic about it. Yeah. Think. That's
0: right. They were on stage at Wembley Stadium even, was it? Wow. Like somewhere massive. Yeah. And they they were playing in the round and they were hugely popular and they couldn't stand each other. Oh, wow, man, that's just <laughs> that so
2: point. depressing,
0: yes. isn't it? I mean,
3: but it's so I mean it's it's annoying being such a cliche I imagine it's like when marriages break down and you never think you're going to be the person trying to take your ex to the cleaners Mm. and then suddenly you are that person and you're like how am I have I become this cliche but I think that's why it's always the case that if you defer talking about things they get worse and become more entrenched and that's how you end up at Wembley Stadium not not speaking and so I think for us it's you know we struggle to have those conversations because they are so uncomfortable yeah of course you kind of know in the back of your mind if we don't sort of disinfect the wound now it's going to sort of yeah Yeah. putrefy so we've got better at trying to deal with it
0: I would have gone with fester
3: fester yeah yeah okay
0: how about sorry I kind of
3: just needless you proud of yourself I'm sorry
0: uh how about new characters yes i was going to think of some ideas for new characters for you to do
3: oh yeah great oh we'd love some yeah we're quite tired so if you got any yeah ideas. i didn't get
0: very far oh, shit. I, in <laughs> fact i only got one
3: yeah is he called adam <laughs>
0: he's called adam buxton yeah and he's got a podcast uh no tedious stand-up comedians mm-hmm. how about mm-hmm. this yeah or maybe this would be too difficult because you know too many people in the industry they might think you're having a dig But uh, I thought that would be funny. I could imagine you playing them. You know, people who take stand-up, and this is not, this is an American thing, maybe even more than it is a British thing, mm-hmm. but who take it way too seriously. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And who just think they are doing the most important job in the world. Speaking and,
3: truth to power.
0: And it's, right? uh, there's a science to it and they refer to other comedians by their surname. Just, yeah. As if they're <laughs> yeah. these kind of legendary yeah. historical figures that, uh, you know, it would be too impertinent to refer to them by their Christian name. Uh, they laugh much too loudly and confidently. Well, they get—they—they
2: they get it. This is the thing. Yeah, they, they get it
0: in a writing room mm. or at a show. Mm. You know, it's just they very much get it, yeah. Yeah. as you say.
3: But yeah, they, I also think that those types of stand-up—they—they're the gatekeepers as well. They want to keep it as this uh, exclusive. And they're almost quite old school. They're and this sort of is, by like, the
0: way, this is not exclusively men. I'm talking. No, about. no. There, there are women who fall into this.
3: Mm-hmm. Women can be crap as well, and that's yeah. feminism. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're often the last sort of dying bastions of old very, school comedy, where it's like it should be a bit of a hustle, and and it's very
2: alpha. It's all like taking kind of, a beer on stage, yeah. and I'm troubled, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Gonna well,
0: tell that's you about the that. other thing is always going on about how fucked up they are. Yeah. Um but it's I suppose an attempt to create an environment where it feels like there's that it's a craft somehow. I'm not saying that it's not, mm. but it is so nebulous, you know what I mean? Like it is a silly ephemeral thing by yeah, nature. Yeah. So so I think it must be common for most comedians to just be hit by a huge amount of um anxiety about the possibility that they're wasting their lives on a stupid meaningless oh that thing. is
3: like oh, yeah. the always Every the day. insurmountable yeah. <laughs> it's always a thing that you got to get over that you're like no one's asked me to do this and no one needs this and i'm not enjoying doing it so and what I, is the point i, of I devoted my life to this and for what <laughs> you feel like the stupidest but least worthy of kindness and empathy person in the world because you've you, you've brought it on yourself but i think you get you i, I get all the time show and i'll go and watch another show and yeah. i'll be like that's what i should be i shouldn't be doing this i should be doing that yes that's mm-hmm. so much more worthwhile than the thing that i'm doing and, yeah. and yet here we are yeah.
2: yeah
0: yeah i think it's the hardest job in the world <laughs> <laughs> i was sort of
2: talking about you know we just did a radio pilot and i was knackered and my mom was like <laughs> I haven't been down a mine.
0: Honestly, Guys, people well. going on about how hard mining is the whole time. I'm sick
2: of it.
3: I want to see a show, you know, where they did like Wife Swap? Yeah, yeah. I want to see that, but for comedians and, and miners. Yeah. And just swap them over and see. <laughs> yeah.
0: you know. Who would do better? Tom
3: Hiddleston described actors as 3D archaeologists. Um,
0: that sounds right.
3: Yeah. Wow. That's on YouTube. You know. Is that when he's like that <laughs> eaten- Yeah. Cambridge, No, that's, that's something else. There's so many amazing rumours about Tom, Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston.
0: He's the gift that keeps giving.
3: Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: Let's just leave it at oh, wow. <laughs> You're welcome anytime, Tom, obviously. Wait, this is an advert
1: for Squarespace. continue.
3: Terms and conditions apply. Calls cost nothing. We'll pay you. We do not accept valid criticism, only hate. Your feedback is important to us. Being mean is cool.
1: Rosie, let's go this way. Come on, dog. Here she comes. She's loping. The tongue is lolling. Oh, lol dogs.
0: Fly past from the hairy
1: bullet. Welcome back, podcats.
0: That was Freya Parker and Celeste Dring of Lazy Susan talking to me there. Very much enjoyed meeting them, and I'm very grateful to them for their time, for coming into my creepy hotel room and being nice about it. I do recommend checking out their Lazy Susan sketch show as an introduction to their world, if you're not already familiar with it. There's a link in the description of the podcast to the show on the BBC iPlayer where you should be able to see it for a while. If you're uh, way in the future listening to this podcast, I don't know if the link will still be there. Didn't really need to say that, but I said it anyway. Also, something I noticed when I was listening back to the edit... I said that Newman and Baddiel played their record-breaking show at Wembley Stadium, did I say? Yes, I think I did. And it was Wembley Arena. (sighs) I know some of you will have been maddened by that, so I wanted to acknowledge it for you and admit my mistake and hang my head in shame and say I'm very sorry I got it wrong and I'm a big enough man to admit it. There's also a link in the description to a half hour, is it half an hour? Maybe it's more like 20 minutes, a segment about Badil and Newman going and playing that record-breaking comedy show back in 1993, if you want to have a bit of nostalgia for slightly simpler times. Speaking of which, one of the best things I watched recently, it was a real old guy moment, was a documentary I found on YouTube about the Travelling Wilburys the supergroup featuring George Harrison Jeff Lynn the Yellow, Tom Petty Bob Dylan and Roy Orbison their debut album was released in 88 thereabouts and though it's not an album I'm obsessed by by any stretch of the imagination I guess I do slightly love it, or at least I love a couple of songs on there. Heading for the Light and End of the Line. And there's something about them. But this documentary is really great. I hadn't seen it before. It's just a promotional thing that was filmed maybe by George Harrison's wife. It must have been someone in the inner sanctum because they are filming all of the Wilburys in Dave Stewart's house in Los Angeles where they were making this record. And you've got intimate Wilbury access there. Even Bob Dylan is allowing himself to be filmed, even though he doesn't look pleased about it and he doesn't chat and he keeps his shades on. But you get some great intimate moments of them laying down these songs in Dave Stewart's uh, little vocal booth. I don't know, it just made me very happy to see all these people together. It's bittersweet, of course, because we're three Wilburys down. We've got Jeff, Lynn, and who's the other one that we've still got? Uh, Bob Dylan. <laughs> I couldn't remember which Wilburys we had left. We've got Bobbles and Jeff. And I hope that remains the case for, I'm going to say, 100 years. Anyway, I'll put a link to that little Wilbury film in the description in case you want some uncomplicated, middle-of-the-road nostalgia fun. Also, a couple more blokes of a certain age chatting about music on a podcast called Mr. DeMille FM... Now, someone told me about this. A podcat got in touch and recommended this. I'm sorry I haven't got their name to hand, but thanks for the recommendation. And they recommended I listen to this one particular episode. The podcast is about film music, or music that has been used in films. It's hosted by Hugh Cornwell, ex of The Stranglers, lead singer. And sometimes the episodes are just him talking about the career of a director or a performer and some of the music associated with the films that they made. Other times he interviews guests. Debbie Harry, Fred Armisen, John Sayles, the director. That's a really good one. And Brian Eno. I think maybe the Brian Eno one is my favorite. Obviously I'm a fan, but he's such a good and articulate talker and his music selections from a very diverse load of films are fantastic. Lots of things I'd never heard before, as well as him talking about a few of his own tracks. Oh, it's a good listen, if you're into that sort of thing. Link in the description. OK, that's enough for this week, I think. That's enough.
1: That's enough.
0: Thanks very much to Seamus Murphy-Mitchell for production support and Becca Briers for additional editing on this episode. Thank you, Becca. Thanks, Seamus. The artwork for the podcast is by Helen Green. Also, I'm very grateful to everyone who helps me with this show at ACAST. Thanks very much to them for their continued support. OK, Rose... Let's head back. Doggy? Yes? Come and say hello. Do some panting.
1: Here. Hey. I love you. Okay. Let's head back.
0: Uh, Would it be appropriate to proffer a quick hug? You know, nothing sleazy, just formal, friendly. Okay. Okay. Well, um... Oh, I love you.
1: Bye!